song to kind of cover what it is we're going to be talking about today. Before I do that, let's give a hand to Cole Connect up here. Um, so Cole decided, you know what, I'm going to make my debut playing the bass in front of people on Easter morning. So way to go. Good job. I know it's hard to believe, but he's actually 13 years old. And uh, so that's, yeah, yeah, he started learning the bass a month ago. So you go figure. So good stuff. Really, uh, really awesome. And I only point that out because it's just so cool to see our church family filling in and getting a part of our ministry, uh, music ministry especially. Uh, it's just good stuff. But like you said, what a great song. It, it perfectly uh, captures what's been going on in this greatest week of history, the series that we are currently in, it's that we've, we're climaxing today. This is the big thing. This is what happened, um, what was leading up, all of Jesus' ministry is leading up to. We're going to finish it up next week because there is more to the story and we want to talk about that. But for now, if Jesus walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. That's what the story, the events of Easter are all about. Because Jesus died this agonizing, uh, painful death on the cross to take away our eternal death, our, our sin, um, our punishment, and then he rose from the dead, we don't have to experience the painful, agonizing truth of our sin, and that is an eternity in hell separated from him. We can have spiritual life in this world, have a relationship established with God now where he's our protector, our provider, the one who fights for us. Then when we die, we get to spend eternity with him. I, I say can, I say it's the possibility of because it's, it's not a one and done deal where he died and everybody gets salvation. Because not everybody wants that, for one thing. God's too loving to force himself on people. But it's something that is possible when we turn to him humbly and we say, hey, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm separated from you, that I need my sin forgiven. I want a relationship established. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just knowing facts that, yeah, there's a guy named Jesus and history has proven that he existed and that he was a good moral teacher and that he lived a good life and that he, he died a death and that we can't find his tomb. It's all historically proven. It's not just knowing that fact, it's doing something with it. It's making a personal choice. That, what he did, mattered to me. It impacts me. And no doubt, many of you this morning um, have made that choice sometime in the past where you've placed your faith in Christ and he's forgiven your sin, you got the relationship with God established, and you know for sure when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But my hope in and my prayer is, I don't know everybody here, that there's probably some here who are not certain. Maybe you've attended church all your life, or maybe you've never stepped foot into a church, and this is the first time, and hopefully it wasn't too awkward and weird. The scariest thing a person can do, I always say, is to walk through the doors of a church. You just never know what you're going to find. There's a lot of different ones out there. We try to be normal. <laughs> I, think we, I think we hit that. Everybody else except for me hits that. They're pretty normal. I'm not sure about me, but... Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's page 993 if you're uh, using the Bible there in the seats. And we're going to find out about how this event that took place 2,000 years ago impacts us today, impacts 
you today. So Matthew, who is a, uh, a disciple of... Um, oh, and I, jump, I jumped way ahead on you, Brian, didn't I? Yeah, okay, I was about to start reading Matthew 28. Brian's back there. I got you, brother. So anyways, as you do that, let me uh, fill you in. I want to get to the story. You know, I'm, I want to get to the good stuff. But let me fill you in on some of the things that have been going on, some of the stuff we've covered in the last several weeks. Some of it we haven't covered, but it's important to know the, the events and what's gone on. And so last week we talked about Jesus and his disciples. They were having what they call a Passover meal, which is a, a Jewish holiday uh, that remembers some things that took place in the Old Testament. We'll go all back into detail on that. But they were meeting together, and Jesus at that meal decides to redefine a couple of the elements of that meal, the unleavened bread and the wine. And the unleavened bread and the wine, which is more like grape juice because they diluted it uh, three times, um, that was kind of central to their meal. But it's also the two elements that we use today as Christians in our communion service. It's the two things that we use to remember what Christ did on the cross. And so he changes the unleavened bread, what it symbolizes, um, from what it symbolized in the Old Testament to what it symbolizes now, and that is the body of Christ. Unleavened bread, uh, leaven um, in, in the Bible is used to illustrate um, evil or sin that permeates a person's life, a person's thinking or a culture's uh, or culture. And so unleavened bread is, is basically saying, hey, I don't want to be influenced by the world. I don't want to be influenced by sin. I want to live a life holy and obedient to God. And so Jesus is saying, now this unleavened bread, it's symbolizing, one, the purity of who Jesus is. Of course, he had no sin. But that we also understand that it was only through Christ that we can have a holy life, an obedient life, a life lived for him. We, if we want to have our life free of dealing with the issues of sin, if we want to have freedom from that, and certainly the consequences of sin, it only comes through Christ. And the cool thing here is that we, that means we don't have to make ourselves right. A lot of people think, man, if I could just, if I, I just need to change a few things in my life, then I can get to church. Or I got to change a few things in my life, then God will accept me and then I can get this whole faith thing figured out. We don't come to God trying to fix ourselves. We come to guys, God messed up as we are. And then he changes us from the inside out after he saves us. The wine, that is now changed from what it meant in the Old Testament to what it means today, which is it's a symbolizing the blood of Christ, the blood that he shed on our behalf, the blood that God says, since he shed that, there's the possibility that he died for your sins, that he took your place so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the death in hell. And that forgiveness is, is complete. It's um, eternal. So on Thursday night after the meal, they decide Jesus takes them off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way there, he shares some information with them that they're not really excited about, I'm sure, hearing. But he says, hey, listen, I just want to tell you guys, you 11 guys are going to scatter there's going to be some people who are going to come arrest me. When they do, you're going to take off, just like he said they were going to do earlier. And so they're going to, he said, you're going to take off. And by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So they get to the garden, and he tells them, hey, you guys keep watch over there. You go ahead and pray, and I'm going to go up here and pray by myself. And 
So he goes up and he spends some time with God the Father. And he's, he's, uh, he's torn in his spirit. He's, he's in anguish knowing that he's not just going to suffer physically, but he's going to suffer spiritually. He's going to experience the sin of mankind on him that, that he didn't deserve. And the Bible says that he, when he prayed, he, he sweat blood. And it's, a, it's actually a medical condition. that when somebody is under severe stress physically and emotionally, mentally, they'll actually sweat what looks like blood. It's a combination of their sweat and, and blood. And so he does that. And the other interesting thing is that he prays in his prayer. He says, God, if this cup could pass for me, if this mission that you sent me on could pass for me, if there's another way to make this happen, which a lot of people today have a lot of different ideas of how that should happen. Well, if I go to church on holidays, or if I you know, go to church consistently, or if I you know, do a bunch of religious rituals, if I do you know, all that, and that, that'll make me right with God. No, no. And Jesus knows this, and so he says, not my will, but your will be done. And again, a huge encouragement for us if, if we're a follower of Christ. You know, God, God asks us to do some things sometimes that we are, you know, people are going to think we're nuts if we do that. If I respond to life the way you want me to do, they're going to think I'm crazy. This is really stupid for me to do it. They may even make fun of me for doing it. And so for us to be able to say, well, Jesus was strained about obedience, but then he chose to do life God's way. Now, yes, he's God, and so he's going to be obedient. But for us to know that, man, we can pray that same prayer and then step out in faith as Jesus did. So Jesus is arrested. The disciples scatter just like he said they would. He's brought before the religious leaders. Peter denies him three times. And Jesus begins to suffer even before he ever gets to the cross. He's suffering spiritually. He's suffering mentally. He's suffering emotionally. And then he'll be suffering physically. Some of the things that he did prior to, they call a pre-crucifixion humiliation. And some of the stuff that he went through on Friday morning, <clears throat> one is he had the religious leaders who questioned him. Again, the religious leaders, the guys who should have had his back. They said they believed in God, and yet they're not treating God well. They mock him. They spit on him. Have you been spit on? I don't know. I'd rather get punched in the face than have someone spit on me. I've had people spit on me. It didn't last long afterwards, but I mean, sorry. Uh, it was years ago. Um, and then my brother showed up, which made it even better. But anyways, besides the point is, they spit on him. And then they beat him. They beat him with their fists. The religious leaders, jumping all over him, beating him. And then they decided, okay, well, we're going to hand you off now to Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor. And so he has some questions for Jesus, and he wants to find out if Jesus is a, um, somebody he should be concerned with. He actually wants to free him, but he goes with what the, Jews, the Jewish religious leaders want. So he hands them off to the soldiers. They mock him. They strip him of his clothes. They put on a scarlet robe. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and as they press that crown of thorns into his head, blood started flowing. This is more than a rose bush. These are much larger thorns. And as he presses it down, blood's coming down his face. Then they begin to worship him as if they really believe that he's God, mocking him, making fun of him. Then they take a reed and 
really stiff stick, and they started beating him over the head with it, which is pushing that crown further and further into his head. Then they remove his clothes, and they put his old clothes back on. John 19 says they scourged him. And it's a, it's a whip that has nine ends, a cat of nine tails. You might have heard of it. And you can see up here on the upper left, they, they would tie in chips and pieces of bone or, or metal. Down here, you can see some of the ones that they found as they've excavated the Roman areas. And what they would do, the design was that they would hit the person in the back and then they'd yank it out and it would just rip the flesh off their sides and off their back. Jesus is an excruciating pain, searing pain, even before he ever gets to the slow, agonizing death of the cross. What would it be like to die on a cross? Well, we... We don't experience it. We won't probably experience it. I know there's Christians around the world who are experiencing it. But it's to be hung on a cross. You have large nails driven through your wrists. It's not through the hands. It's more through the wrists. In a Jewish terminology, this is the entire hand. And so they would drive it through the wrist. That way they, the bones could support the weight they would bend the knees a little bit and they would put the feet together and they would drive through both ankles. Now there's some uh, discussion that maybe they, they actually put their feet on the sides of the post and then they drove through. I don't care which way they did it, that can't feel good. There's, you know, again, they're not real sharp nails if you want to put it that way. These are, it's just pain upon pain. It's, it's designed to inflict the, the maximum amount of pain without killing somebody. They later on die of suffocation, but until that point, they're pushing themselves up on their ankles with their knees because their toes aren't working at this point. And as they experience the searing pain flowing up their legs, they push up, they curl their shoulders, which they say that when they do that, they'll dislocate their shoulders and their elbows just to get a breath of air. And then as they exhale, their body slumps back down. And that going up and down, their shredded back is up and down on that coarse post. And Jesus is doing this up and down, up and down. Not for anything he's ever done, but for everything that we've done. They say that, uh, that some people have been known to last for several days like this. But when, the, when Rome was done, and they're like, okay, we got to make sure these guys are dead. If they're still alive, they'll walk up to them, and they'll take a large piece of wood or maybe a sword. I don't know what they actually use, but then they would come across, and they would break their shins. And that would cause a person to finally just slump and die of suffocation, not being able to breathe. In Jesus' case, we're told that by the time they came to see him and try to see how he's doing, he's already dead. And so the Old Testament prophesied that they would pierce his side, and sure enough, a Roman soldier went up and pierced his side and drove the, the spear up through his rib cage 
and blood and water flowed. And science would tell you, doctors would tell you, well, that meant that all his bodily fluids had settled. He was dead. And the blood and the water flowed out of him. Finally, Joseph of Arimathea shows up, and he's a well-known, highly regarded individual in, in Israel. He's a, in Jerusalem. He's a follower of Christ. He's purchased a tomb for him to put uh, Jesus into, and so he asks for Jesus' body. They say, okay, you can, you can do that. So he rolls uh, Jesus off the cross. They, they hand him to Joseph. Joseph packs his body with cloth, so he kind of looks like a mummy, and they're putting 100 pounds of spice on him. They didn't bury people in the ground back then. They put them inside of tombs with a stone rolled over. And so the stench of decay, they tried to keep that down. And so they put spice, 100 pounds of it. And then they take this stone, and historians say it's, a, it's one and a half to two tons. And so what they would do is they would set it up a little bit higher than the, the opening, and then they would put a, a ramp down into a rut, and they would... They would leverage the thing in and it would just roll down in front of the tomb. So nobody could get in. Nobody could get out. Then they put a Roman seal over this. So Rome's saying, listen, nobody touches this tomb. Nobody gets near this tomb. Because if a person broke the seal, the Roman seal... They themselves, when caught, would have been crucified, crucified upside down. So nobody wanted to mess with the Roman government. And then the religious leaders wanted to make sure that nobody got in or out. So they asked for a guard. A Roman guard is 16 Roman soldiers. These aren't just some punk kids that they picked off the street and put them in some uniforms. These are the top guys. These are the guys who guarded the governor, the Roman governor. 16 stationed around the tomb. So religious leaders, they finally did it. They've been wanting to cancel Jesus the entire time he's been around. They've been looking for opportunities to make sure that he's gone, that his teaching is gone, that his movement is gone. So they've done it. And his disciples won't be able to get to him. He's dead. He's in a tomb. He's got a hundred pounds of spice laying on top of him. He's got a one and a half to two ton door shut. Roman seal, Roman guards. The religious leaders can rest, right? They can sit back, go about their business, keep people chained to religion. They're good to go. But God still has a hand in this, a play. So here's what Matthew tells us. Matthew is one of the disciples. He wasn't there as an eyewitness, but he got obviously the information from Mary's and Peter and John as they ran. And so he says this, Now as the Sabbath, which the Jewish Sabbath is Friday evening to Saturday evening. We think Sabbath is Sunday, but to them it was Friday evening to Saturday evening. As it began at dawn toward the first day of the week, which would be Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene <coughs> excuse me, and the other Mary came to look at the grave. So we know from Matthew 27, they've already been to the grave. This will come in handy as we talk further. 
And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And I don't know if they felt that earthquake as they were walking to the tomb or not. We are not told, but an earthquake happened. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him. These 16, you know, top dogs, these Roman soldiers, fearful of this guy in white, became like dead men. They passed out. <coughs> Excuse me. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would scare me spitless. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. So they, they go in there, they check out the tomb. Sure enough, he's not there. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. We're going to talk more about that next week. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. You can just imagine they, they don't know really what they're feeling. Jesus is risen. The one who they just saw die. The one that they've been with for three years. So they left with fear and great joy. It's all over the place emotionally. And they ran to report to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. They know, they believe he's God. And so they're worshiping him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take a word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. Something's happened in Galilee. I need to meet them there. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city. So as they're taking off from the tomb, the Roman guard are going into Jerusalem, but they're not going to Pilate. Or, yeah, they're not going to Pilate. Kind of weird. Instead, they go into the city to the chief priest and tell them all that happened. Why wouldn't they go to Pilate? He was their boss. They just failed their mission. They would be killed. So they're not going to go to their boss. They're going to go to some, these Jewish guys who like to seem to use money to kind of get things working in their direction. And so when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, okay, here's the deal. You're to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Now, to this day means when Matthew was writing this, which was about the mid-60s. And so 30-some years after Jesus rose from the dead, Matthew's writing this, and that story is still being told about the fact that Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. People today still think that the disciples came to steal the body. So let's look at that. Let's see, is that possible? Because nobody questions whether the tomb was empty. Not even the religious leaders. So how is it the tomb could be empty? Well, so the disciples. So if you know anything about the disciples at this point in their life, don't they change, but at this point in life, they're, they're too scared, they're too weak, and they're too loud. And we'll explain what that means. I mean, these guys seem to get in arguments over anything, um, which we looked at last week. But they're too scared. They're, these 11 guys, when some, when some Jewish temple guard showed up the night before to arrest Jesus, they scattered. They ran. 
The Jewish guard were nobody to fear. Rome wouldn't let them have any real weaponry. These guys were not to be afraid or feared. They, they should be afraid of the Roman soldiers. There's no way they're going to be going up against Roman soldiers to do this. They're too weak. Now, I've never personally tried to push one and a half to two tons of uneven stone from a rut up a ramp to level ground. I've never tried it. I've never been with a bunch of people who have tried it. But I have a hard time believing that 11 guys could have done that. But let's just say they did it. They have been too loud. There's no way in the world that they would have been able to sneak. When they're not ninjas. They're not ghosts. They couldn't get around the Roman guard in order to pry that thing up. And like I said, these guys got in arguments over every little thing. Can you imagine those guys trying to figure out how they're going to push that stone up? Now, these guys did become courageous, bold men who stood up for Christ and who were beaten for their faith and were killed for their faith. But that was after they saw Jesus and after the Holy Spirit came and empowered them to be that way. But at this point, on this day, this situation, there ain't no way that they're going to be doing anything. So who else would want to move? How about the religious leaders? That's the last thing they want. They don't want, a, a, they don't want Jesus' body to disappear. Because that would prove him right. So they're obviously not going to take him. They, they evidently believed that he was gone because they came up with a story. A story that continued on. If he had been moved, these guys, I'm sure, would have been putting out a search party. Let's go find the freshly spiced tomb. I'm sure you could smell that spice pretty well. The Roman soldiers, why, you know, one, why would they even want to move them? But if they were, if they were to do that, they would have failed in their mission. History tells us that if a guard unit, if one of the 16 soldiers fell asleep, that they would strip all 16 down, their clothing would be at their feet, and they would use their clothing as kindling to burn them. And they would burn them to death. Even if one guy fell asleep, all 16 were burned to death. These guys didn't fall asleep. And if they did, they lost a body. So I highly doubt that they willingly gave the body up. Others have come up with some other ideas. One is that the women went to the wrong tube, which I kind of talked about before. Again, kind of a hard thing to believe because had they, um, had they, had they followed jo Joseph the night before, which they did, then they would have known which tomb it was. There was also a Roman seal laying somewhere, and there was 16 Roman soldiers standing up, laying down. Who cares? There's 16 Roman soldiers laying there. You'd know which tomb it was, or if you'd gone to the wrong one. Some people say, well, Jesus wasn't quite dead. That when Joseph took him off the cross and he was preparing him for burial, Jesus kind of woke up. And so then Joseph 
got him off somewhere else, and maybe he died at some time later, and they put him you know, somewhere. And again, I, I guess you can kind of think about these things and come up, but the fact of the matter is they shoved a spear up in his side, and blood and water came out. He was dead. And again, I keep going back to the fact that the religious leaders didn't question that. They just, they believed it. The truth of the matter is, Jesus walked out of the grave just like he said he would. Now, I know there's probably some hardcore atheists who were like, I don't believe it's God, and that didn't happen. Okay, I get it. And, you know, we can have that conversation and we can talk about the reality of Scripture, the accuracy of Scripture, what secular historians have, have done. Um, but most people, I think, would consider themselves spiritual. Right? You talk to people, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. Yeah, I'm a person of faith. And so if you're a spiritual person, this is not too hard to believe that the God of the universe, who was in flesh, decided, I'm going to rise from the dead. That should not be a hard thing for anyone to believe happened if you're a spiritual person. And so Jesus, in his life and in his, in his miracles and his teaching, and especially the resurrection, proved that he is God. He said he came to this earth to die for our sin, to be buried, to take our place in that tomb, and then to rise again, to defeat our sin, to defeat hell, so that we wouldn't have to die that death. We can't do it on our own. Only he can do that. Here's what Jesus said to Mary when he raised Lazarus from the dead just a week or two before he died. He says to Mary, I'm the resurrection. In other words, you want resurrection? I'm it. And the life. He who believes in me, who, he who puts their full weight of trust. Again, biblical belief is more than just mental, intellectual assent. It's saying, no, I'm going to put my entire weight of trust. We'll live speaking spiritually, even if he dies, which is speaking physically. So if you die physically, you're going to live spiritually speaking with God. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he looks at Mary and says, do you believe this? She goes on to say she does. She believes that he's God, that he is the resurrection, that he is the life. So it's only through faith in Jesus that we can be certain that we are going to rise from the dead like Jesus did. The Bible talks about the fact that when we, when we place our faith in Christ, when he gives us uh, forgives us and gives us spiritual life, that when that happens, it's a spiritual transaction. It's not something that we can do with good works or uh, you know, good thoughts or sending somebody good thoughts. It's, it's nothing that we do. We can't penetrate our own spiritual sin. We're spiritually dead. And so when that happens, when God forgives us, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place, that we are united with Christ. United in Christ. So what happens to Christ happens to us. We don't become gods, but the fact that he rose from the dead, we get to rise from the dead. Because he rose from the dead and went to heaven, we get to die and go to heaven. He's the life. He's the one who gives us spiritual life. He's God. He's the one who can do that. The only one 
who can do that? And he did that by dying our eternal death. So the power of God can be released in your life. And you can experience his forgiveness. And when that happens, then there's a restored relationship. You and God, your relationship is restored. He places his Holy Spirit in you. And he's the one then that will take you to heaven one day when you die. But Jesus says for that to happen, you must believe. So I've got a little example here, maybe a little illustration that might help you. This is a stick of dynamite, uh, not a real one, just so you know. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I got your beard. <laughs> so, but we all know what a stick of dynamite can do, right? Even if we've never used a stick of dynamite, we know what a stick of dynamite can do. It can do some good things. It can do some bad things. You know, out west, when we used to live out there, they would have these massive boulders fall onto the road, and they would go over and dynamite it and push it off the edge. And so dynamites can do some good things. And so we, we understand, we have some knowledge about dynamite. We know that if you light the wick, that eventually, kind of like Pale Rider, Clint Eastwood, you know, tossing it into the mine, right? And then he drops it. Anyways, um, I, would, I don't know why. Every time you stick a dynamite, I think of that. and takes it and kind of flips it and it drops. And Anyways, he did it in order to get the other guy to grab it so he could ride off, save the day. Anyways, I move on. But if we want to experience the power of dynamite, what do we need to do? We could talk about it all day long, but... Boom! No, it didn't. Okay. Nobody, nobody's freaked out on that, so that's good. Nice. Yeah, we need... If, if you want to experience the potential power of dynamite, you have to light the wick. That's what faith is. You got to move from saying, I believe in the, in the, the events, the truth, the fact that these things happened, and you got to say, that happened for me, for my sin, to save me from hell. And faith is what lights the wick that brings the potential of that power to life in your life. Biblical belief is trusting that Jesus did those things for you. Call it what, what you want to call it. Salvation, spiritual life, being made right with God, being good with God, whatever you want to call it. It comes through belief in Jesus, not through belief in ritual, not through belief in traditions, not through belief in some other good things that you might think would work. And it depends on who you are and where, what your upbringing is and so what those things might be. It's none of that. You might do some of those things after you come to Christ, but it's coming to Christ for his salvation that matters. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And if, if anything taught us, it taught us through covid is just that, that tomorrow isn't promised to us. And so this is where the cards come in. And so I'm going to ask you, since it's Kim and Mai's uh, 29th anniversary today, as a gift to me, you know, it always comes back to being a gift to me. I don't know how that works. Last time we did that was my birthday. Um, 
Go ahead and grab one of these cards. Just, just trust me. I won't be spamming you. Don't make me go, have you guys raise those up. I can see nobody, so people are moving. No, you got to have one in your hand. I appreciate the wave, but that's it. There you go. Yeah, grab one of these cards. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate that. You don't have to get me an e- anniversary gift or an Easter gift for that matter. On the blue side, there's an ABCD. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus' question that he asked Mary and that he's asking you. Do you believe this? Do you put your full weight of trust, so you're not trusting in yourself anymore, you're not trusting in your religion anymore, you're not trusting in your good works anymore, you're trusting in what Jesus did, his good work, that that's what saves you, that's what gains God's forgiveness of your sin, a restored relationship with him, his Holy Spirit in your life, that gives you spiritual life and takes you to heaven one day. Now, if you're here this morning and, and you've already had that conversation with God sometime in the past, and you know that for sure. Yeah, I've had that conversation. We've had the talk. He's forgiven me. I know it. Boom. Mark A. All right? And as you head on out this morning, you can drop it in the uh, offering bucket. B is for believing today. When I just shared that, if you're like, man, I need to do that, then have that conversation right here, right now with God. Your heart to God's heart. We call it prayer, but it's not a freaky, weird thing. It's just you having a conversation with God. We do it all the time, don't we? Something goes wrong in our lives, we start to hey, you know, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs, we may call him that, or you know, I'm going to talk to a big guy. So we, we know what it is, but this is serious business. This isn't just calling him, this isn't about the big guy upstairs, this is about your Savior. And so you're like, yeah, I need to do that. Then do that. Just have a conversation right now with him. Your heart is out and just say, I know I'm a sinner, God, I know I'm separated from you, but I'm believing, I'm putting my full weight of trust that Jesus died on the cross for me. And if you just did that, Mark B, because you're believing today, 4-4-21, Easter Sunday of 2021, you know this is the day that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you would, I'd love you to, if you would put your name on it and contact information, Drop it in the offering bucket and I'll contact you with some other information and we can set up a time to talk if you want. No, I'm not going to pressure you to do it. I'm just offering that to you. If you're here this morning, you're like, you know, Harold, I get what you're saying. Still not quite there to take that step of faith, cross the line of faith, uh, but I'm considering it. Then Mark C. And if it would help for me to sit down and have a conversation with you, explain some of the things that you're kind of concerned about and not sure about, then put your name, your contact information on there and I'll do that. I'll give you a a call or uh, set up a time for, to get together. You can take me out for coffee or you know, whatever. And if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I don't have any interest in doing that. And you want to let me know that too, feel free to do that. Just mark D, throw that in the offering bucket on your way out. And that's fine. You know, we're, we're not about pressuring people to do these things. This is between you and God. I would love for you to experience God's salvation. I know what it's done in my life. I know what it's done in a lot of people's lives in our church, which, by the way, is one of the incredible proofs, arguments for the reality of who God is, the transformation that he makes in people's lives. So if you do that for me, I would appreciate that. You can consider it an Easter gift to me.
But go ahead and stand as the band comes. I'm going to pray, and we'll close out the service. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that we could worship you, that you allow us to do that, that you want us to do that. You actually command us to do that. I thank you for the fact that you love us so much that in spite of our sin, despite of the fact that, that we're considered enemies of yours and that we're sinners, that we're hopeless, we're ungodly, you still love us and you did what was necessary, the only thing that could be done, and you personally died for us in order for us to have your forgiveness and to have spiritual life restored relationship with you and eternity in heaven with you. Father, I pray that if anybody here hasn't made a decision or if they have, that you would just confirm that, that you would let them sleep tonight until they've wrestled through that and made a decision of whether they believe this or not. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.